With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to 32 Fans in 32 Days. I'm Alex Chester. Not with me today, Wheels Wienerker. Akiva went to bed. I told them we're going to talk with the Denver Broncos. And he said, wake me up. And then he fell asleep. So I messaged him, but he's fast asleep. So the fascinating conversation about Drew Locke and maybe, I don't know, Cortland Sutton, Von Miller, whoever, whoever we're going to discuss today, we're going to do it without Akiva. But we have a guest here today with us. Broncos fan, and I think uh, first time on the podcast, if I'm not mistaken, Evan DeRoche. So, Evan, welcome to 32 Fans. How are you today? Hello, hello. And it's okay that Akiva isn't on the podcast because I'm the uh, patron. I'm in the I like Akiva, I'm sorry. I'm in the I like Alex better uh, ranking. Yeah, if you were in the other group, you'd have to switch after today anyway. So, To, to be fair to Akiva, and I think this is going to be posted uh, you know, sometime after we record it based on how we spin the wheel, but um, we did record two podcasts already today. So, And I think he also may have recorded a, an episode of the podcast he's cheating on me with, with Allie with, which I, I guess is fair because I've been recording uh, 32 fans patron episodes with Allie without him. So anyway, so let's, let's talk about the Denver Broncos. This is a, a sort of a make or break season, I think, uh, for, for Drew Locke, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, like, the biggest question coming into the season is, is at the end of 2020, will the Broncos be sure that Drew Locke is going to be the quarterback of the future for this team, or do they have to go back to the drawing board at the end of the season and find someone else? So tell me if I'm wrong or right about that. No, I think this season kind of uh, begins and ends with, with Drew Locke. Uh, if he, you know, kind of... Um, fails to impress, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking at quarterbacks either in free agency again or first round in the draft. Uh, this year's a, a little kind of tricky with that, though, with no uh, off, you know, off-season activities, no preseason, uh, and a new offensive coordinator. It, situation being where you were kind of uh, hands in the air, well, is he good or not? You know, he didn't have a full support as a normal quarterback would have, which is really the worst case scenario. I'd rather just be either, you know, no one way or the other. Is he good or is he bad? You know, how, how are we going to move forward with all, all this? Yeah, it's just, it's been, you know, a real struggle at quarterback in the, you know, ever since Peyton Manning retired. And really, you know, John Elway, was, was brought in and presumably he knew quarterbacks more than anything. And, and obviously bringing it away was a massive success. 
he, uh, you know, had some great years and went to the Super Bowl. And then even by the time he was done, they still managed to win a Super Bowl, uh, you know, more despite him than because of him. But then, uh, you know, the Trevor Simeon, uh, well, I mean, the, the, the Trevor Simeon project failed. The Paxton Lynch project failed. Obviously, Brock Osweiler failed the first time before that. Um, then, then eventually, and uh, tell me if I'm going out of order, if I'm missing somebody, but then they signed Case Keenum from the Vikings, who had one year as sort of, you know, basically he's a very good backup slash mediocre starter. And so that basically failed. Then they brought in Joe Flacco last year, and that basically failed. And Locke comes in the second half of the year, and really there's nowhere to go but up given the, the long string of failures that I mentioned over the previous four seasons or so. And they do go four and one down the stretch. And so it gives some reason for my optimism. But I guess what I'm wondering is how much of that can be credited to Locke. So I will point out that um, he had, I think he was like top five in the league in um, yards after uh, the percentage of his passing yards being yak. And PFF graded him the uh, dead last in the NFL on throws 10 yards down the field. So, you know, tell me in Denver last year as they were winning, were they saying we're winning because of luck? Were they saying, uh, you guys obviously once upon a time were winning games despite Tim Tebow, but at the time, I don't think anybody was thinking it was despite him. Everybody was crediting him. So as you were winning all those games in December, was it because of Drew Luck or was it because of sort of everything else going on around the, the team? Yeah, I think one of the kind of big things in Locke's favor, I think is his second or third start. Uh, it was his first road start, I know that. Uh, when he went into Houston, just totally destroyed them. Um, and that, I think that kind of gave a lot of people um, who were starved of good quarterback play um, a lot of real enthusiasm. Um, I think in the uh, last couple of games of the season, uh, he wasn't really doing a lot to propel the Broncos to victory. Uh, he just wasn't doing anything to propel them to defeat, mm-hmm. uh, which in Denver uh, he had everybody kind of blowing kisses at him, uh, so to speak. So uh, there's a lot of fanfare to, to Drew Locke, uh, but I think that's more of a says it's about the state of the franchise and the state of Drew Locke's quarterback play. Yeah, it's also it's interesting because on the one hand, the focus is really let's make sure that Luck is the quarterback of the future this year. On the other hand, other than the Chiefs, and that's a big other than because obviously they look like, you know, just a, a dominating team at the moment, but there's no one else in this division who's really designed to win in 2020 per se. And with three wild cards, in theory, one could be up for grabs. So, you know, you guys finished second in the division last year. And if you can just win one or two more games than you did last year, you're probably making a wild card this year. Yeah, that's kind of where I uh, see the the upside for the, Broncos and yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier the abbreviated, um, you know, abbreviated uh, off-season workout time. But uh, I mean, our OC Pat Shermer back in uh, 2017, you remember with the Vikings, he took uh, Case Keenum, who you know I doubt got any first-team reps um, yeah. during the preseason or you know any of the training camp with the Broncos, and he was able to get a pretty good season out of him. So yeah, who knows? Maybe he'll be able to get a similar performance out drew more preparation than what Case Keenum had. Let me ask you a question that I asked our Bengals fan about Joe Burrow. And obviously, you know, Locke is a bit further in his development than Burrow, but I'm going to ask the same question. Would you rather this team, Drew Locke really struggled this year, either not play all 16 games because he's injured or because he's just bad or whatever the case may be, but they go nine and seven, they sneak into the playoffs, or would you rather the team go six and 10, but Locke looks really, really good. And it's just, you know, they lose for other reasons. That, that, that is going to be a, a tough one. So where the Broncos are at right now, so if they miss the playoffs, the, the record for the longest playoff drought uh, post-Super Bowl win. 
So obviously I don't want the Broncos to have that uh, distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately if, if Drew Locke looks like the guy, but we still go six and 10, I'd rather that be the situation. Cause you know, if at least we have the quarterback down, that kind of gives your franchise a direction on where yeah. to go. You know, you can say, you know, we need it's to such get a major a hole to have no idea what you're doing or, at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you, if, quarterback if it's a question mark then you're you're really just kind of treading water mm-hmm. you don't know if the moves you make are going to ultimately turn into wins whereas you know if you know your quarterback's good then the kind of path forward is let's just get him more help so that talent can translate to you know more wins yeah let's talk about uh, the rest of the offense for a second so melvin gordon could not get the contract he wanted with the chargers he comes to denver where he gets you know he doesn't get the contract he wanted but you know he gets a uh, you know uh, guaranteed seven figures, so he's happy at least in the short term. Philip Lindsay has been great the last couple of years, you know, after coming on as an undrafted free agent. And Royce Freeman has been pretty solid as well. So, you know, was, it was a little bit surprising to me as an outsider to see that this is the team who gave Gordon the money. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that as well. Uh, Philip Lindsay had back to back thousand yard season. So, I mean, how much more do you want from the guy? Uh, he is also pretty uh, small in stature. So, um, there's really not a lot of abuse that he can really take. Although, I mean, he hasn't been too injured so far. Um, but ultimately when running backs, I feel like, you know, the, the more the merrier, it's such a injury prone position and, you know, Melvin Gordon, you know, he didn't look like his old Melvin Gordon self, but, you know, with the depth that we already have at running back, we don't necessarily need him to be the old Melvin Gordon, uh, even if he's a good pass catching back. I think that's going to be more than sufficient. I think yep. their running back room will be kind of similar to uh, New England the last couple of years with Brady, where they had like, you know, four or five guys. There's no real lead lead dog. It was all just, uh, you know, whoever is you know, most uh, caught up to breath was kind of, um, you know, just completely rotating them. There are some guys who are better at catching, some guys better than running. So I think it's going to be a very diverse uh, kind of stable that's going to be in a heavy rotation. Yeah, I always thought of Gordon as, you know, he was obviously a great fantasy running back because, you know, Rivers would target him so much out of the backfield. And I always thought he was much more of a fantasy running back than a real-life one. He's averaged under four yards a carry in all but one season of his career. And so, you know, when a, even a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who I think was a legitimate superstar, couldn't get money at running back, I thought it was crazy that Gordon, uh, you know, did not take the contract they offered him and chose to set out. Not that I thought they were giving him, you know, a, a fair contract, but just the reality is at that position, you know, your career is so short, you got to take what they give you, especially if you're, you know, in, in his case, really more a, a beneficiary of the circumstance, I think, than a talent. But uh, we'll see. On the outside, Cortland Sutton emerges as a legitimate star last year. And, you know, the Broncos are not settling for one at wide receiver. They really want to give luck weapons. So uh, the first two picks, they take uh, Jerry Judy, Judy, as uh, Larry Davis is on curb about the Judy doll uh, and KJ Hamler. Uh, how have Judy and Hamler looked so far in practice? Uh, Jerry Judy so far from uh, all the reports have been, you know, very good. Um, AJ Bouye de- um, described him as being like Amari Cooper Um their safety also said that he was pretty good. Um, well, more than I wouldn't say pretty good, but yeah, everyone was, uh, has been pretty glowing on Jerry Judy. Uh, the kind of uh, strength that everybody was saying about him coming out of the draft was his route running ability. Um, so that you know should make him a little bit more pro ready than 
um, some of the other receivers in the draft. Uh, their other guy, KJ Hamler, uh, he's a you know speed guy, kind of take the top off of uh, defenses. I've seen uh, on Twitter that he was doing some uh, kick returning work as well. He did injure his hamstring, so he will miss at least week one. Uh, hopefully it doesn't put him too far behind the eight ball for the rest of the season. Uh, but I think kind of going forward, you know, having these two guys are going to be really helpful long-term though. Yeah. And, and also emerging in the second half of the year last year, much like Sutton was uh, Noah Fant who uh, really came on the, the best tight end we've seen probably since Peyton Manning left in Denver. Um, is, uh, is he sort of a guy who they're expecting to take a further step or is it, was it sort of just a coincidence last year that he got a lot of numbers late in the season? Uh, I think he's definitely going to be a big part of their offense there. Uh, the Broncos previous uh, starting tight end, Jeff Hyerman, they recently cut. So I think that's you know really all you need to know about Noah Fan. They're basically getting rid of his competition. Um, and that's the best kind of endorsement that you, a player can get really. Yeah, so not a lot of depth then in the tight end room behind him. No, so that we did pick uh, Jake Butt. Uh, we got him yep. one pick in front of um, – oh Jake God, Butt from Michigan, of course, a couple of years ago. Yes, we got him uh, right in front of – one pick in front of George Kittle. Um, so oh. that's a, a great pick by Elway there. Um, Jake Butt has never been healthy, um, but he did show a lot of promise in Michigan. So if he is healthy, I think that could be a pretty good, uh, you know, number two to Noah Fant. We also drafted uh, Albert O uh, from Missouri, who was one of Drew Locke's targets back when he was in Missouri as well. Um, so some familiarity there that should translate. All right, let's talk about the offensive line for a second. So you're replacing two starters on the offensive line. They uh, paid Graham Glasgow a lot of money at guard. What, uh, what should we expect from this new offensive line this year? Uh, biggest piece for the offensive line is so two years ago, we paid even more money to Juwan James, who was mm-hmm. injured all of 2019 and is now opted out of 2020. So we don't have a starting right tackle for the second year in a row. So who, who's uh, starting Elijah, it right now? Is Elijah it Elijah Wilkinson? Wilkinson? Okay. Say wasn't a, right now he's still the, the starter from who's the starter from last year. So, uh, gave up 10 sacks last year, um, so really not too promising. Um, we do have um, uh, what's the uh, the O line coach from um, our O line coach? We picked him up from uh, the Steelers. He interviewed for the head coaching job, and somehow Elway was able to get him to do a complete lateral move and do oh, the O line right? coach for. Munchak, yes, yeah. thank you. Um, so we do have Munchak coaching the offensive line. Um, you know, Garrett Bowles, uh, last year he started out the year pretty rough, was getting uh, holding uh, calls almost every game. Last year, or kind of towards the second half of last year, that really did get caught down. Um, that might be from Munchak's coaching. It might be because Drew Locke was uh, throwing the ball a little bit faster. Um, so, I mean, hopefully he uh, can continue some of that growth we saw last year. We didn't pick up his fifth-year option, so he's going to be a free agent by the end of the year. So it doesn't sound like the team is too optimistic about uh, where he's going. 
Let's uh, switch to the defense. And before we do that, let's talk about your coach for a second. So I have been on this podcast very uh, down on, on Vic Fangio before they even signed him or when they signed him. Um, and, you know, I, I was not very impressed last year. How, how do you feel about him? Uh, so at the start of the Vic Fangio area, we always started uh, 0-4, which is, uh, really had me pretty worried because the Broncos historically start out pretty well. Uh, even in the past couple of years, and then just kind of uh, fade as the season goes on. So our our kind of best time of the season, we started pretty poorly. Um, but I mean, as things have gone on, the uh, the Broncos defense have uh, they finished last year in the top half of pretty much every defensive category. Um, I think really this year we're going to have to kind of will be kind of where the Whoever hits the road, um, you know, first year head coach, uh, if things are you know, a little rusty or a little rough to start off, I'm not, you know, going to be too critical. I can be a little forgiving of that. Uh, but I mean, this is the second year of the system. I feel like, you know, we should be able to kind of rock and roll if, uh, you know, if he's kind of worth being the head coach. Yeah, it is a little interesting. Teams usually sort of zig and zag, so they'll go from an offensive coach to a defensive coach uh, back and forth. Uh, they went defense after Kubiak with Vance Joseph, and then they went defense again with Fangio. Uh, you know, obviously he's doing a little bit better, at least than Joseph based on the record in Joseph's two-year tenure. But, you know, this is a team where it seems like they have a lot more questions on offense than defense. And, you know, how, how involved is Fangio? You know, obviously I, I, as a Vikings fan, I have Zimmer as a, as a coach who's more defensive-minded. How involved is Fangio in the offense? Uh, I mean, my understanding is that he's not super involved. Um, I know that the, on the defensive side, it's, you know, his defensive scheme. Um, we fired our offensive coordinator from last year and, um, you know, picked up the current offensive coordinator. Uh, yeah, and, and Shermer, you know, I think he got a bad I, rap in New York. Is, but he was, he was a good, obviously, as you mentioned, for the Vikings. Yeah. In that year with Keenum, he was great. And I just, I thought that he's, he's the kind of guy, you know, almost like the nerve, the nerve, the Norv Turner classic of the guy who's a great coordinator, but not a great head coach. And we had seen him fail before in Cleveland. He's probably better suited to be an offensive coordinator, but he's probably good enough there that Fangio can rely on him. So I was just sort of curious how, uh, you know, especially when you're a guy like Fangio, who's been, you know, who's already 60 by the time he's a head coach. So he's had a whole career focused really only on defense. I guess you can't expect him to, to, to have too much involvement in the offense and you probably don't want him to. Yeah, and from my understanding on the, uh, the switch of offensive coordinator, uh, from the kind of reports that I saw coming out at the time, um, it sounded like it was more of a John Elway move than a, a Vic Fangio move. Um, mm -hmm. Elway thinking that this would be a, an upgrade on the you know, offensive coordinator position and a, more of a, a better uh, fit for Drew Locke. Um, you know, I didn't really ever see Vic Fangio really comment on that move. Um, so, yeah, that's – from what everything I've seen, it sounds like it's a uh, more of a John Elway directive. Mm. What about, um, all right, so let's go to the defense now. You know, on the defensive line, you have, you know, uh, Jarrell Casey's in, Derek Wolfel's out. I, my big question I want to start with is uh, future Hall of Famer Von Miller. So 2019, definitely a down season for Von Miller. And the question is, when you have a guy who's been, you know, a super duper star for, you know, most of a decade, and then at, in his age 30 season, all of a sudden is not nearly as good. Is this a new, you know, a new stage in his career? Or are you saying, well, no, 2019 was just a blip and he's going to go back to being a superstar again in 2020? 
Um, I'm not sure if he'll be back to a, a superstar level in 2020, but I feel like he'll definitely be at a, a higher level than last year. Last year, I believe he only got seven sacks, um, which is you know, lowest of his career other than the year he tore his ACL. Um, you know, kind of what I was mentioning before about them starting 0-4. Uh, during that time frame, I believe they recorded no sacks or no uh, turnovers. So I think it was a more of a kind of a defensive-wide kind of morose going over, uh, you know, the team causing a, a lack of play. Um, you know, the second half of the year is where he recorded all of the sacks, and uh, Bradley Chubb was out that entire time. And seeing how Bradley Chubb will now be healthy, I feel like that's only going to be uh, better for Von Miller's uh, production. Yeah, Chubb has a dozen sacks as a rookie. And then last year, you know, injured most of the year and, you know, not so great when, when he was healthy. So they really do need, uh, you know, to have a, an edge rusher on the other side to really help Von Miller, you know, regardless of what level he's at. I think they really need him to step up. So they signed Jarrell Casey in the offseason. They bring him over from Tennessee. Casey, also a guy who's on the wrong side of 30, but has, you know, has been a very solid player and, and consistently uh, strong defensive tackle his entire career. How has he looked so far filling in for the Broncos? I mean, so far, I, you know, I haven't seen any, you know, tweets or anything from the, uh, any of the reporters so far about Jarrell Casey. Um, I feel like the fact they were able to get him for a, a seventh round pick is a, a virtual steal. Uh, I, I don't see how any seventh round pick will, you know, they're lucky to really even be a productive member of the team, whereas Drill Casey is currently plugged in to be the, the starter. Uh, you know, he is pretty kind of getting up there in age, um, but I feel like he's probably going to be a pretty, uh, pretty productive member of the defensive line. Yeah, we, let's move to the linebackers. Chubb, obviously, more of an edge rusher, but really all the Broncos linebackers have been very solid. Uh, last year, Alexander Johnson, he's like a 28-year-old rookie, comes out of nowhere. He was basically a star last year. Todd Davis, also very good and uh, Josie Joel. And so it, it, this is really, it, you know, the Broncos have played a 3-4 forever. And really every single starting linebacker seems to be like an above-average player for this team right now. Yeah, Alexander Johnson, uh, he, like you said, came out of nowhere. Uh, I believe he finished as the third-ranked uh, uh, linebacker for PFF. Um, there's a lot of kind of hope and optimism that um, he's going to kind of continue on that path and just be a, an absolute stud for the team. Uh, Todd Davis has been a, a pretty, you know, solid linebacker. Uh, he did injure his foot um, in the in training camp already, so he is a little uh, iffy for the start of the season. Um, and then, you know, beyond that is uh, kind of a you know bunch of jags, really. Um, I mean, historically, the Broncos have been getting pretty gashed by tight ends. Um, I remember there's a uh, Thursday night football or Monday night football game against the uh, 49ers two years ago, we just got totally just crushed by the, their tight ends that game. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like really the sky's the limit as far as what Alexander Johnson can do. Um, hopefully, you know, Vic Fangio can uh, you know, kind of make him into a, a real beast for the middle of the defense. Uh, in the secondary, I think with the departure of Chris Harris, you've basically lost everyone from the uh, you know from that great Super Bowl era um, secondary in Denver. AJ Bouye has been brought in to replace Harris. Bouye is definitely a big name, but he has struggled in the last couple of years uh, since the year that the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship game as well. So what are the what are the Broncos expecting from Bouye and, and who's starting opposite him? Is it is it Bryce Callahan right now? It is Bryce Callahan, uh, who missed all of last year. So it, it is going to be a little bit of a, a question mark to see how he plays. 
Uh, I, the real stars of the secondary really are the the safeties, though. Uh, Kareem Jackson and yeah. Justin Simmons are are real, you know, real ballers. Justin Simmons got the the franchise tag. Um, Kareem Jackson in, in our game against the Texans last year, uh, he got an interception, a fumble return to the you know to the house. Um, so that, those guys are really the the strength of the the secondary. Uh, I feel like Bryce Callahan and AJ uh, Bouye they're kind of serviceable starters. Um, so they're, you know, I, I don't feel like they're going to be a, a liability for the Broncos, but um, certainly it's going to be a, a far cry from the, the no-fly zone days of old. Yep. All right, so the Broncos have an over-under of eight. Before, we, uh, before you tell me your pick on that, or why don't we j- jump right into the schedule game and maybe we'll figure it out that way. Um, so the Broncos are going to start in the late Monday night football game which means I don't know if you have Chris Berman announcing it or what, but uh, at home against the Titans. Do we know, are the Broncos going to have any fans allowed in the stadium? What's the plan as of right now? Week one, no fans. Um, everything else is, you know, kind of TBD, mm-hmm. uh, but they have ruled no fans for week one. Okay. So what happens in week one? Hosting Ryan Tannehill and the uh, Titans coming off an AFC championship appearance. Yeah, I feel like this is a, a pretty great matchup for the, the Broncos, mainly because this is going to be the first real football that Tennessee is going to be playing this year, and they're going to be playing it you know, in Denver in Mile High. Um, historically, teams get pretty gassed playing Denver in the first month of the season, and I feel like you know the lack of preseason is really just going to uh, kind of exaggerate that effect, and I feel like the Titans are going to be you know pretty uh, – uh, kind of pretty uh, worse for wear in that game. And I feel like Denver's going to gonna come out on top. Interesting to me how disrespected the Titans are uh, for, by like the fans of just about every other team that we've interviewed. Uh, the, the, I know the Titans, so they play you guys in week one and you expect that to be a, a loss for the Titans. They play the Jaguars in week two. And I remember our Jaguars guests thought uh, that the Titans would lose that game to the Jaguars. Uh, then they play the Vikings and the, I obviously think the Vikings are going to win that game. And then they play the Steelers and our Steelers think that they're going to win that game. And so, People really not respecting the Titans, but this is not a Titans podcast. So let's come back to the Broncos schedule. Week two, you're at Pittsburgh. I'm going to say that's a loss. Okay, and then week three at home against Tom Brady. I'm going to say that's a win. Tom Brady has a pretty poor schedule, uh, pretty poor record in Denver. Uh, in Denver. Sure. <laughs> yep. So I feel like uh, history is going to repeat itself and Denver is going to get a win. All right, and then week four, you go at the Jets on Thursday night. So short rest after the win over Brady. I'm going to say that's a, a loss. Um, Adam Gase hates the Broncos. Um, every time he's played them as a head coach, he's done everything he can to just blow us out. Um, and we've lost the Jets the last couple of times we played them. Um, so I'm going to give the Jets the victory on that one. All right. And then 10 days later, go into New England. So you're playing Brady at home. And then two weeks later, you're playing at New England. I'm going to give Broncos the victory on that one. We're 3-0 and so far against uh, Cam Newton. Um, and the fact that all That's of the, the defensive <laughs> players on New England have opted out, I think Denver can uh, get the victory that day. All right, so big win in New England. You're three and two. You come home to face the Dolphins in Week Six. And that'll be a win. All right, four and two, and then you play the Chiefs before your bye in Week Seven. Uh, that's going to be a loss. All right, so four and three coming out of the bye. A couple of road games at Atlanta. That's going to be a win. Oh, so five and three, and then at Las Vegas, first game against the uh, Raiders in their new home. That'll be a loss. All right, five and four, 
And then you come home to face the Chargers. At this point, is it Tyrod Taylor? Is it Justin Herbert? What do you think? I think uh, week 11, I think there's a pretty good chance that uh, Justin Herbert will be the one taking snaps at that point. This is also going to be uh, L.A. coming off a of bye. And so, you know, teams pretty often will put in a new quarterback uh, during that bye week. Mm-hmm. And what's your prediction for that game? But I do think Denver will will win regardless of who will win. All right, so six and four, definitely in the driver's seat for at least the wild card spot. And then you face, uh, after Thanksgiving, you face the Saints. Uh, Saints will win that one. All right, yeah, this is a tough part of the schedule. Then Sunday Night Football, you have to go at Kansas City. I think uh, Kansas City is going to get the sweep and win that one. Okay, so six and six at Carolina in week 14. I'm confident Denver will win that one. So, yeah, that's, I think, at least the third road game you've predicted winning. So, Denver, not a team that's going to be uh, too threatened to go on the road this year. Seven and six, you come home, you face the Bills in week 15. Probably a game with uh, playoff implications on the line for both teams. I would think so. Uh, Buffalo did kind of uh, embarrass us last year, and I think um, they're probably the better team, and I think they'll, they'll win that one. All right, so seven and seven, you go at the Chargers in week 16. Can you get a sweep of the Chargers? Uh, we always sweep the Chargers, so oh, wow. Very uh, we're going to win that one. Chargers 2-53, to 53, one of the better teams in the league, but, you know, obviously they have a lot of questions at quarterback this year. So 8-7, and seven, and you come home in Week 17 to face the Las Vegas Raiders. Probably a must-win to make the playoffs. Yep, and I think we will win that one. Okay, so 9-7 and seven is your prediction. So you're taking the over at 8, and even 8 for the Broncos. Yep, I'd take the over. I think 9-7 and seven is... Uh, pretty realistic for the team. If we had the full kind of a off season workout regimen, I think, you know, 10 or 11 wins would have been on the table. Oh, wow. Uh, Very I confident. Like I, I, yeah. But I, I feel like just with that, where things have been, um, you know, I, I think we're going to be a comfortable nine and seven. And what's, I'm not predicting you to, you know, predict every other team right now, but um, do you think nine and seven, are they making the wild card as one of the three wild cards in the AFC this year? Uh, well, it is funny that you say that because I have predicted uh, oh. every other team. Okay. Um, so I, uh, I would have them going to Kansas City, uh, who I have pegged as being the number two team. So the two seven uh, matchup. Two seed. All right. So you get a third, yes. a third chance at revenge against the Chiefs. Have the Broncos ever lost to the Chiefs three times in a season? I would guess no. No, I don't think they've ever lost three times in a in a season. Uh, the Broncos haven't beaten the Chiefs since Week Two of 2015. I would not have guessed that. Wow. Um, you know, so, yeah. So you know, just kind of by the law of averages, you think they, you know, one of these days we'll, we'll beat the Chiefs, but the Chiefs just right now are so, so good that uh, even in, in my own kind of, uh, you know, Homer Bronco world, I, uh, I don't have the, uh, the guts to say uh, that we beat the Chiefs. And I just checked, by the way, uh, the Broncos and Chiefs have only played one playoff game against each other ever. Do you remember when that was? I believe they played in the playoffs in 97, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly, yeah. 97, they played in the second round. It was the Chiefs were hosting the Broncos, and the Broncos came into town and won 14-10 to on the way, obviously, to a, a Super Bowl title. It's funny sometimes when you think of these longtime divisional rivals who actually rarely meet in the playoffs. I think when the Vikings played the Packers in the playoffs in 04, it was the first time they'd ever played in the playoffs or something like that, and I think they've done it three times now. But, yeah, you don't usually face a divisional opponent in the playoffs, 
And so, yeah, certainly I'm trying to see the Broncos. Yeah, they split with the Chiefs that year. They uh, went one on one in the regular season. And then, of course, the Broncos got the revenge in the uh, in the divisional round of the more important game. Uh, but this year, I think uh, it's going to be three wins for the Chiefs against the Broncos, right? Based on your projections. That's that's my projections. Yeah. All right. Let's switch gears for a second. So you are uh, from Denver. Is that right? You live in Denver now? Yep. Live in Denver. All right. Can I assume you're a Denver fan across the board? Mainly a Broncos fan. Um, but, you know, I keep tabs on the, uh, the other sports teams. Oh, because, yeah, because I wanted to ask you about the Nuggets. Now, again, we're recording this on August 24th. The Nuggets are down 3-1 to the Jazz. Who knows when we'll post this? Who knows when the wheel will spin? But uh, it's quite likely that the Nuggets will be out of the playoffs by the time this podcast is posted. And I, for one, am shocked. I thought that they were definitely going to beat the Jazz. You know, I thought it would take, you know, five or six games. But I, I thought they would definitely beat the Jazz. And I thought they had a reasonable chance against the Clippers in the next round. I think Akiva, actually, on our NBA Playoff Predictions podcast, predicted the, the Nuggets to beat the Clippers, if I'm not mistaken. So do you have any explanation for why the Nuggets have been struggling against Utah, at least in the first four games of the series? Uh, I'm not a, a, a huge uh, basketball fan, but... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.